Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housewives Archives, a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things real housewives. My name is Ellie Nunn. And if you're authentic and vulnerable enough with him, he might just let you lift his leg and scrape the dirt off his trainers. It's my co-host, James Evans. Nay. (laughs) Now, I can barely look James in the eye right now. And it's not just because because. my eyes are so swollen from hay fever. (laughs) What have I done? That I can't see. But mainly because last night, I honestly don't know if I can even say this. (laughs) Last night, James went with Macy, Mm. who's in New York. My new best friend. On a holiday. (laughs) And new co-host of the show. Exactly. James and Macy went to see Luann in concert, in cabaret, at 54 Below. And I am so jealous that I can barely form a sentence. I wish I could say something to make you feel better, Ellie, but I don't want to lie to you. I respect you too much to lie to you right now. And you missed out on a euphoric evening. It was honestly, it's, it was like being at Woodstock. You know, you just had to be there. And I nearly what I mean, I love that. I, but I think both Macy and her family really thought that I was going to just fly out last minute because it was that unmissable. And I wish I had, honestly. It would have been money well spent. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting to wake up to photos of them with Ramona stories mm-hmm. of Ramona videos of them with Luann like I I thought that y- it was going to be a far more like distant experience and now I feel like I missed out on like a visceral opportunity I thought I was excited by seeing Lisa Vanderpump's son at pump I think I would have just died it was almost too much too bad because obviously I, you're there to see I was overwhelmed getting the video I was thinking that because I knew that Macy would be she was doing photojournalism at its finest. She was taking pics and sending, taking pics and sending. And I was thinking, this is going to be, mm. this is too much to start your day. Like, because this, you was, she was sending them at night at time for you. So you would wake up exactly. and just get this flood of videos. She really should have taken my feelings into she consideration did, yes. and <laughs> fed them. Like. Your absence was noted and you were sorely missed in part because we were seated at a table of four. So there was just an empty chair there. So I, I very much did a whole Caroline Manns of like... Very Danielle. As see, yeah. As you can see, there's a scene missing here. And unfortunately, Ellie could not be here today. Ellie chose not to attend. She didn't want to support... her husband said... <laughs> she said he was uncomfortable. Ellie, I was under the impression you were your own woman and that you could fly out at a moment's notice and come and see Countess Luanne in Cabaret. But unfortunately not. <laughs> You were there in spirit and you were rolling yeah, your eyes throughout the whole there. thing. Exactly. I was sat like Caroline Manzo on a trip to fucking Napa with a my completely arms crossed. Holding the coats. With a complete sourpuss on. Yeah, yeah. There's just so many. I want to give you a full review, but it's too soon. It's not even been 12 hours yet. You need to digest it. Yeah. Well, I can tell you my main takeaways were this morning, Macy called me to give me a kind of full debrief. And I don't know whether to be flattered or insulted by her very earnestly being like Ellie I have to say I was sat there and I was thinking about your cabaret and I was like wow cabaret really is a skill Ellie's cabaret is so good and on one hand I'm like thank you so much and on the other hand I'm like yeah I didn't I didn't ever really think that there was a comparison to me (laughs) (laughs) but maybe maybe I was it's like I was being too scathing I mean I defer to you I was talking to Macy last night and we were both sort of saying what is cabaret? Because we know that whatever Luan did is not a cabaret. I know that much, but what for you makes well, cabaret? Well, maybe, well, maybe I would argue what Luan doing is cabaret and I don't consider what I do. Oh my God, that sounds like a <laughs> I don't consider what I do, my gift, 
as cabaret. <laughs> no, I mean that in terms of like, I certainly, I wouldn't put a name on what I do because I just think it's self-indulgent crap, which to be fair is the it's sort of, Luan. yeah. I think I've always termed my shows as like concerts in terms of they're like songs and stories, but I guess that is cabaret. That like, I don't know. I think we're somewhere on the same stre- uh, spectrum, but I would hope that we're sort of... Yeah. Basically, my main takeaways from the videos mm-hmm. that got sent to me... Sorry, I'm kind of dying about the fact that I just, like, said I think we're on the same spectrum with any kind of earnestness. Like, <laughs> It's, like, it's that both, kind of delusion that Countess Luanne would want. Like, <laughs> exactly. I just, that's the most I've ever felt like Luanne, and I feel a bit icky for saying it. Like, No, just ugh. to clarify to people anyway. listening, because Ellie won't say this, she's too modest to. It's not just, like, Ellie just, like sing songs in her living room for friends like you do sell out shows you're you're (laughs) (laughs) it's not far off i've never been to them so i don't know if they're any good but i hear nothing but good things so my main takeaway from the videos was i just i can't get over her song choices basically i woke up to this video of loan in what seemed to be like a bolero outfit walking yep. past james and macy being like at the goba goba <laughs> and this is my second point which is i have to say the show does not do justice to how bad a singer Luan is. I think I used to think that she could hold a tune, but just very low. But the videos you sent through, she's nowhere near the tune. And it's also lower than I knew anyone could ever It is sing. like one of the, like people look more beautiful in person than on camera or vice versa. It was definitely, I feel like over the years, we've been inoculated to Luan just being not the best singer. But truly you have to be there in person to realise she genuinely cannot sing and i was always told as someone who cannot sing whenever i have a singing class people say singing is 90 percent confidence luan is the antidote to that <laughs> thesis because she she lacks in many things but confidence is not one she's like 130 percent she and turns confidence out that 10 percent was quite not safer and i was really you know people say, call her luman people say that she has quite a manly voice and I didn't really think much of it, but the first song, the very first line that we heard was uttered off stage, and it was, Where's all my soul, sisters? Let me hear your flow, sisters. I genuinely thought it was a man. I thought it was an MC being like, and now Countess Luann, and then she come out and being like, hey, sister, you know, but it was her. Her voice is so low. And to your point about the notes, she has a specific range and it's a few notes inside that range she's okay outside of that range she's in trouble and as a result of that every single song i don't know if you saw any of the endings of the songs in any of these videos but normally you end on a belt luan can't really belt and normally the the note goes higher and luan also can't go high so she has to sort of belt a note really low because that's within her range but she also can't belt so every song it would just be like creole lady (laughs) everything was like that i enjoyed the video where it was like the minute you walked in the joint (laughs) i could see you were a big loser (laughs) yeah she did a really scathing rewrite of big spender (laughs) i think it was also oh before i forget so yes ramona came to watch and for a split second we were seated and then about 10 minutes later ramona comes in has a drink and then just turns around and leaves before the show started and macy and i were genuinely like has ramona just come taken a photo pretended that she's come and then fucked off to go to bagatelle and we were kind of like i genuinely hope that she doesn't come back and then she did come back eventually just before the show and we were really disappointed about it but ramona was jumping the queue to the loo someone i saw a fan yes mace has a great story about that that i feel like i should let her tell yeah we'll let her tell she was a fan took a photo with her and then the fan said can i post this on instagram and ramona said yes but you have to write exactly what i tell you to and was like giving her verbatim like a press release on what this woman could put on her own instagram i love that we've now discovered and in a way i think this really vindicates our love for the show that that's both ramona and sonia who we have like direct evidence are exactly how they are on the show if not worse yeah in real life that it's really not performative yeah as for the talky bits of the cabaret my takeaway is that luan is funnier when she goes off script 
Luan cannot land a joke, a scripted joke to save her life. She has no <laughs> comedic timing, but she's quite charismatic when she's just riffing and talking to the audience. And that was another big part of it. She sang about five songs and then the bulk of it was just a big Q&A <laughs> where she was just doing Mary Shag Kill the whole time. So it was shit, but also it was great. And I want to do it all over again. Oh, well, when I'm next there, let's hope it lights up. Yeah. It's quite inspiring for me because my next um, my next show, I'm meant to be singing songs written for men. And one of the things that's proving difficult is it's very hard to run the songs at home because until I have them all transposed, they're all in the wrong key, which means they're either incredibly high or incredibly low. And so I don't sound far off, Luanne, at the moment. Being like, there is nothing I can do. Nothing. <laughs> Replace Dame with housewife, and then Luanne's good to go. Exactly. Like, it was also... There is nothing like a loser. There is... N- <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> also, she doesn't... I think she could do... A, there was a lot of mashups, and I think she could do a bit more work on her mashups. So for... For instance, can you just sing to me a bit from Lady Marmalade and I'll do the mashup that she was doing on top of it? Uh, anything from anything. It, just like. Yeah. No care for. Oh God, like, I feel such pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a note? He met Marmalade down in old Moulin Rouge. Chic, say la vie. C'est bon. C'est bon. <laughs> chic, say la vie. He met Marmalade down in Chic, say la vie. C'est bon. C'est bon. Oh God, this is sounding quite like one of my shows. <laughs> Uncanny. Does it then lead into a whole bit about how you learned French because you moved over to Switzerland? Yeah, I have a whole like video montage of me making eggs à la française. Like yeah. I've I've got it all. It does get very boring. She gets quite. My husband's family built the Suez Canal, and you're sort of all of a sudden it like sucks <laughs> it becomes the air a out TED of the talk. Room. Yeah, and you're like oh. exactly. <laughs> You're like, oh God, now it's like I'm back in assembly at school. Mm. We could talk about Luan for an entire episode. As If you want to hear our opinions on Luan, go back. We have a whole three episodes for you. Mm-hmm. That's three hours of me... <laughs> Quality content. ...bashing, yeah. <laughs> bashing Luan. So today we're here to talk about season... Sank. Yes. That's French. <laughs> That's French. <laughs> for five. Have I ever told you about a girl... Uh, that I went to school with, she once was talking to me about how she was really into, she was like, oh my God, you know what I love at the moment is um, uh, Le Pain Quotidien. Mm-hmm. And then there was this pause because I was sat there just being like, cool. And then she was like, it means daily bread. I and I was like, <laughs> yes, thank you. Person I do French A-double with. But also it was I like imagine just being like, yeah, I'm just going to go to Pret-a-Manger and they're being like, it means ready, ready to, to eat. eat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Ready to eat for the layman. I always think of that Luan oh. confessional where she's like, je crois pas. That means <laughs> I don't think so. In French. Phew. Thank, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Luan. I thought it was Japanese. Have I ever told you about that same girl who said the daily bread thing? <laughs> so she, I kid you not. So she had a massive forehead. <laughs> okay. And she was obsessed with boys. Like obsessed with talking about boys. And I kid you not, her name was Hedy Mawinkle. (laughs) Isn't that insane? Like, her parents can't have known that she was going to have a massive forehead. And they called her Hedy. (laughs) And then it was like she was like living up to her surname. Hedy Mawinkle. Mawinkle, not Mawinkle. Mawinkle. No, Mawinkle. You've had a bit with a name like that. You've got to be some like ruddy-faced cook from the 1800s. He's a great time, and was she a great time? I don't think so. Je crois pas. No. I don't exactly. think so. In French, clearly not. God, this one I probably find out. She's like the one person that listens to our show that I, I know. This is for you, Hedy Mawinkle, dedicated to you. Exactly. So, season five. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to start us off with a bit of a bombshell. Okay. Prepare yourself. Oh, I'm nervous. Not the whole of season five. Right. But there were definite moments in season five, particularly around the end of it and in the reunion, where I actually feel like I got why people like Teresa. Ooh. I've turned into true. <laughs> <laughs> 
There were moments okay. where I felt like I saw a glimmer of hope. Mm-hmm. And then, don't get me wrong, she quite quickly, like, shits all over it most of the time. This, Like, just as she, like, gives an inch and you're like, oh, I actually quite like And then she, like, ruins it. But there were moments where I thought, I think season five, apart from maybe, like, the first season, is the best look on Teresa. Moments of it. Not the whole thing. But there are elements of... Is this related for you? Because I don't dispute that, but I wouldn't necessarily have gone to that place because it's unthinkable for me. But I would say that season five is probably Melissa at her most villainous. And I, I don't agree. know if that has something and to do with it. I just think that there are, maybe, I just think there are like moments of redemption for Teresa okay. in season five. Would you like to start with those or are, we, are they just going to come up as and when as we go through the season? Um, well, I probably can't start with them because they didn't come until quite late in the season. And All right. we should probably, I don't have a huge amount to say about this season. Like the B story is pretty dull. Yeah. And the main story was just like a broken record. Like that they self-reference that it's, boring like that they're just going round and round and round we're just stuck on the same fight we're stuck on the same he said she said it kind of has nowhere to go but i think that the bulk of the season is split into these two kind of healing trips Mm -hmm. and i guess mainly i just want to talk about like those two yeah retreats and like the difference between them and i think most of the season is sort of crystallized in those two trips is there anything pre the first trip that i think i just want to talk about the like the gruesome not the gruesome twosome the gruesome trio of jan penny and jennifer because i think that kind of amps everybody up it gives us the momentum that we need going into this retreat because i think we find ourselves in general when i think about season five it's like the final part of a trilogy that's very long and drawn out and you feel like everyone's exhausted. It's basically, it's Return of the King. It is, it's yes. Like... It's Godfather Part 3. And it's, yeah. it's slightly in the same vein. Slightly pales in comparison, I would say. As you say, it's sort of a broken record. We're sort of going through the same beats. And it reminds me of an essay that I read in my uni days. And it's called After the Orgy by a philosopher called Jean Baudrillard. French. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> it's by a philosopher called Pancotidia. <laughs> <laughs> And basically, he says that in the 60s, there was this explosion of modernity in the Western world. And there was like full liberation of everything politically, sexually, artistically. It was like the zenith of man's civilization where we'd explored everything and pushed it to its greatest boundary. And in those decades since the 60s, we sort of had nowhere to go. So we've just found ourselves sort of simulating those explosions all over again there's this big orgy and then we sort of find ourselves going okay Mm. now what and i feel like in many ways season five is that where everything is sort of a variation of the same theme they're trying to recapture recapture these past moments again and again often with diminishing results and i think in a way for us it gives me some liberty i don't feel like i need to go through the season recapping everything beat by beat but we can just sort of sample little tidbits that we find interesting Anyway, so part of the sort of variation of a theme, we get this Jan, Penny and Jennifer crowd and they're sort of a necessary evil because Teresa finds herself at the beginning of this season, much like Danielle at the beginning of season two, where she's pretty much been cast out. She's not really filming with anyone except to fight with them Mm -hmm. or have these like coincidental (laughs) run-ins, especially at gyms. There's a lot of gym action going on at the beginning of this season in particular. The gym one is also just like so weird and sexual. Both Teresa and Joe, maybe everyone sounds like they're having sex at the gym, but when they work out, they sound like they're having sex. It's really weird. Isn't that where they have a montage of the two of them working out and they're both grimacing and they make it seem like they're fucking each other, like subconsciously? It's really weird. Very strange. And isn't that that also the one where he says he goes home and Yes, I think so. He has sex with Melissa. It's just very... Very odd. It's very weird. Yeah. So Teresa has to resort to that old Jersey trick of filming these solo scenes of her hanging out with these quite desperate ancillary characters. And we've always had those quite unsavory hangers-on who are quite happy to just get down in the muck and roll around if it means getting their 15 minutes of fame or having a shot at being a housewife or whatever. But it feels like a simulation of past characters. So there's a steady progression on Jersey over the first five seasons from the likes of Kim D and Kim G, these the, the powerhouse uh-huh. duo, the OGs, 
the real trolls, as it were. And then there's a progression from them to the likes of Monica Chacon, who was a one and done. But we've kind of said like, oh, Monica Chacon, like her reputation precedes her. Like there's some, (laughs) you know, there's something instantly quite exciting about her name through to this trio of Penny, Jennifer and Jan. And even their names, Penny, Jennifer, Jan, it just sounds like a bit of a shit girl group. Penny, Um, Jenny and Jan, totally. They sound like a 50, they sound like sub characters in like a 50s soap where it'd be like i'm gonna go hang with penny jenny penny and Jan. <laughs> like down at lover's point it's, they just sound like made up names like friends that don't like oh i'm hanging out with penny jenny and jan jenny jan <laughs> jan <laughs> and it just feels like the kims are such idiosyncratic well-drawn-out characters that border on the cartoonish there's something inherently funny or quirky about the kims and whoever's filling in that role they just get less and less defined it's almost like they've taken mm. a photocopy of Kim G and then taken a photocopy of that photocopy and again and again. And it's got blurrier and blurrier. And blurrier yeah. and blurrier. And to it's the lost point that, that I often confuse the the one that's the real estate agent and the one that was in Melissa's wedding. I often get those two confused. Right. So Jenny and Jan. Jenny and Jan. They're Jack. like interchangeable. Yeah. Can we talk quickly about, I can't remember which one it is. Jenny. The real estate. Who's the real estate yeah. agent. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. When... Joe and Melissa, they want to sell their house for like 3.2 million or whatever. And I was say I'm with Jenny on this one. She's like going around the house. The house is just like falling, falling apart. apart. But it's not falling apart in like an old school, like it's like a crumbling chateau way. It's falling apart like it's a set. Right. And I do think it's the same with Teresa and Joe's house. Their homes just seem like... Did you ever watch episodes? Yeah. You know how they put up Stephen Mangan and Tamsin Greek's characters in like an LA home, but it's been built as a set. So everything is like polyfiller <laughs> right. and like the pillars aren't actually like marble pillars. Their homes feel like that. Yeah. Don't they go into their bathroom and the basin is cracked and it's literally like almost like the basin is just made out of cardboard and then with like a little thin plastic covering so that it's cracked. Literally, but, like, it's, it's like, like wood. wood yeah. It's just like cheap, Wood in like, a bathroom. Wood. And then... I love that Melissa's cuts being like, well, like, who would bother having, like, all marble or whatever? And I'm like, look, I'm not being a snob. It's not about being like, oh, how? I'm just like, but it's falling apart. It's yeah. more than, it's it's more than I'm, like, worried right. that you, it's not sustainable. Yeah. But she... 3.2 million. Anyway, carry on. But it is hard. It's easy to get them more confused because there's no real attempt on the producer's part to sort of establish their characters or the stakes beforehand. So Jan no, no. is a case study. She's supposedly a very dear friend of Melissa's. So close that they were both in each other's bridal parties but all we get is one scene of jan having brunch with melissa literally one buffer scene in between and then suddenly jan's turned up and she's having drinks and kikiing with kim d and penny and Teresa talking smack about melissa it feels like what we were saying about kim g where it just feels very hurried at the end where she's just decided that she hates danielle and it just Mm. suddenly cuts to her screaming at her outside a restaurant there's no investment in the character so it means that what should be quite compelling that this best friend has betrayed Melissa, it kind of just lands with a thud and you kind of think, well, we don't care because we don't know who this woman is. But also it just adds to the whole kind of like staginess as well that we felt right, from right. the end of the season before. And it's tricky, this whole thing of Teresa constantly being like, I don't know, I just end up like, I don't even know that. She's yeah. like, I, her whole sense of like, I just happen to end up where people are saying these things means that... It's very hard to care because you don't feel like, oh my God, she's there while someone's saying that. You're just like, oh cool, it's another thing where like Teresa's not going to say anything. Well, it also, yeah, because it's so stagey, it reveals the, it makes it more obvious the production side of things. And I feel like this has made me do a sort of a 180 on the whole Strippergate situation where I was thinking, I don't know if Teresa does have anything to do with it. And then suddenly seeing Jan and Penny and Kim D talking shit about Melissa in front of Teresa, it made me suddenly think, no, it's not like, I know this is an obvious thing to say, but it's not like Kim D and Teresa were just having a drink and then these women just happened to come along. They're mic'd up, like production, they were on a call sheet. Production knows they're going exactly. to be there. Production aren't going to invite them to film with Teresa if they so don't know they have something dinner. good. Like, and I don't think exactly. Kim D has that and she sway. knows that. Teresa's definitely had a meeting with the producers saying these people have muck on Melissa and I want them to talk about it on camera. Exactly. And again, it's boring because it's just the same thing again. You know, we've had two seasons of this and even the fight between Teresa and Joe at the gym, I just found this whole season, I kind of had one eye watching and one eye, I mean, obviously it's not. <laughs> 
actually possible to just <laughs> either condition when I closed when like, I <laughs> while, exactly like while I reading my book while, yeah. <laughs> but I found myself really not giving it my full attention because you know exactly what's what's going yeah. around again and again and again so it almost like, feels like Kim D is phoning it in it's almost like she's wanted to go into semi-retirement and she can't be fucked so she's just outsourcing all her shit stirring to these women like exactly. th- these are her trainees she's like the governess and there's just like these gaggle like the of three women exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway so, yeah so so Melissa's revved they're, up they're doing the cheating rumors Teresa's there. Also, the aftermath of the Joe Judice thing is quite important because Joe Gorga's point at the gym, I think, is you say these things about Melissa where Teresa's argument is always like, yeah, but that's what I heard. And he's like, cool, well, I heard your husband called you a see you next Tuesday. I literally heard it. Right. And then Teresa flies off the handle where it's like, this is ultimately the problem with Teresa is that she can't see... And I imagine that this goes on right up until like present day. Mm-hmm. She can't see the hypocrisy in her doing exactly like every reunion where she's like, yeah, well, I was hurt when she, someone said something. And they're like, yeah, but can you not see that? Like I was hurt mm-hmm. when you said she's like, oh, well, why you got to bring it back to you or whatever. And it's like, ah! it's all it's the same in Whirlpool again and again and again. So they have their fight at the gym. And how do we get to is it? So Rosie is a very central figure in this season, and I just love her so mm-hmm. much. And I want Rosie to, to and talk Kathy later they... about Rosie and Kathy, but Rosie I think plays a really a particularly key role in her relationship with Joe Judice. Yeah, because again, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I actually think that there's some really redemptive moments for Joe Judice mm-hmm. in this season. Yeah, and I think that in the same way that you, I can't stop thinking about your point about. Joe Judice never doing talking heads mm-hmm. and the impact that that has on the show. And I think what Rosie does is act almost as the talking head for Joe Judice, mm. that she like humanizes him. And whenever you see those two together, I always suddenly quite like Joe. Yeah. And I think, again, that's why I think they should have made her a housewife. But also, I think like the package and the reunion that they play of the two of them together is genuinely very... The fact that everyone, Caroline, Jacqueline, like they all are like the two of them together are just gorgeous. There's just something very pure about yeah. it. I think is a really important part of this season. Mm-hmm. And you know how we often talk about a show having a kind of moral compass that you pick and often however they feel about something reflects how you feel about it as mm-hmm. a viewer. And I do think Rosie is sort of that for a lot of people, but for me. Yeah. It's like where Rosie stands on something tends to be about where I stand on it. Yeah, completely. And she's very, she drives the narrative forward in a very active way. She's kind of, she's not just a sort of a Greek chorus. She's very much an active part of getting everyone to this retreat and getting everyone together. Well, I was going to say, so it's because of her that they go on the first retreat, isn't it? Yeah. Because she suggests it. And so they all go to what, now, a little bit of context. I, years ago, did something called the Hoffman Process. I would be so fascinated if any of our listeners <laughs> that we have left. I don't know if we, <laughs> all two of them. Lost them all with the <laughs> LA sound mm-hmm. issue. Um, but <laughs> I would be so fascinated if anyone's done the Hoffman process. But it honestly isn't far off a combination of the two retreats. Uh, I did it years ago and it's basically like group therapy. But the, the difference with the Hoffman process is that it's group therapy with straight... You're, you don't go with family or whatever. You go... And it's like with 20 other people. Then you have a big fight. You know what? It's not far off. Like you (laughs) let it all out and then you like go through that. Like you do a similar journey. Beat the shit out of each other. Okay. Well, you beat the shit out of a pillow with a baseball bat. Okay. Anyway, I got distracted. But so, oh, so I just, I find, I found both of those retreats, but particularly the first one. I really, I really feel it because I feel like I've been there. So they all show up and the idea is that these two facilitators who are potentially my favourite... Oh, they're like, so good. ...C-tier characters in any of the series. Just like the most affable... Yeah, they're <laughs> so foreign to the world of New Jersey. They're so sunny and like, okay, they're very like the camp counsellors in Adam's Family Values. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, I know this sounds weird to say, but it's like, I, I, I find it hard to imagine either of them have like ever had sex even with each other they just seem so pure yeah and i don't mean that in like a shaming way i just mean it's hard to imagine there's something very sort of unblemished and sort of quite childlike about them and when all of the talking heads the family is like 
they are so screwed. Like we're going right. to eat them alive. You almost hope that they're going to step up and suddenly be like really kick ass and yeah. like give the impression, but they don't. They're literally like they got two party entertainers <laughs> in to like play games with the family. It's honestly like if you and me walk through the door being like, okay, guys, <laughs> we're going to do some drama games. Zip zap boing. Come James, on. Come on now. I would be so hardcore. <laughs> I'd be like, beat the pillow with the we baseball bat. It, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Go punch a wall. Exactly. <laughs> <punch> a wall. <laughs> exactly. We know what we know what we'd be doing. It's a big misconception about us that we're sunny. We are so miserable. Horrible people. I think people know by now. Yeah, it's not a misconception. Yeah. I love that the guy has come back from a peacekeeping mission to the Middle East. I just love this idea that he's like single-handedly ended the Arab-Israeli conflict, but and he's like won Nobel oh, prizes God. and stuff. But the Gorga family are just a step too far. It's, it's a level just... of toxicity that even he cannot fix. So, like you say, but like in true, like exactly, very, very on brand for us, they start off with some good old-fashioned drama games, effectively, and suddenly the whole thing feels like the first day of rehearsals with like a new cast where it's like everyone. Yeah, they're like laying brightly coloured pieces of paper on the floor. It looks like Dana's game night. There's just loads of like colourful tat on the floor. <laughs> it looks a bit like a school sports day. They're going to do like an egg and spoon race in a second. There's like, I don't know what the name is, but like exactly. those, those fluorescent little cones that you used to get at school. But I'm going to put it out there. They all are having a great time. And guys, this is why, like, drama's going to save us all. This is why we mustn't cut drama from the school. Exactly. (laughs) It's an enriching experience. And Joe Judice in particular is profiting from it. He's being really sweet. He's really getting into it. Yeah. He's having a good old time. I have to say, I do that, like, every rehearsal process. They get out a ball or whatever, and I'm like, oh. I, I don't want to, like, I can't stand it. And then in spite of myself, I'm having, yeah. having quite the giggle 20 minutes later. That's the joy of drama. Nothing compares to the excitement of getting a big parachute out and then running underneath it. Okay, too far. Oh. Too far, James. That's- oh, I thought this was a safe space, Ellie. <laughs> was that your drama school experience? Just three no, years not drama school. No, primary school. <laughs> there was always, like, the big parachute that they get out once a year, just randomly, when the teacher was hungover. Of course. Exactly. exactly. So post-drama games, you're a bit like, maybe these camp counsellors know what they're doing. Maybe they're going to... Getting somewhere. Okay. Exactly. And then this argument starts. Well, of course, the argument starts because everything's good, because everything's physical. And then as soon as it gets to a point of talk to me, anything that requires sort of verbalising your exactly. thoughts and feelings, that's where we get into trouble. Exactly. And watching these two counsellors watch their work disintegrate is so funny. It's so funny. Because <laughs> they like have these like permagrins. They're like, they never stop smiling. Yeah. And they keep trying to be like, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, oh. let Oh no, okay. Okay, well we're gonna get to that a bit late. Like we can and it's just like, oh you've you've beyond lost control. Like like it's like me trying to train my dog. Like watching at the part where I'd like Molly, Molly, sit, wait, and she's just got like not listening and everyone around is like, it's sweet that you think that you have any control. Right. And they just slowly as it gets completely out of hand, they're just slowly backing away. away. They just disappear. They do just (laughs) reverse into the car. They're gone. They're back to the Middle East. It's just like a puff of smoke out the back of the exhaust. It's like... (laughs) But it's it's just like a classic hits of Teresa with her being like, I'll always be loyal to Joe no matter what he does to me. And it's like, ding, ding, there it is. There it is. Then we get (laughs) Teresa saying this whole idea that she is actually... She's really cool with everyone in the family. Everyone here is fine, but it's Jacqueline who's the problem she can't be here but like that's why because she's the reason she's in this mess right now and because Jacqueline's not here like we can only do so much yeah it's so bad looking back that that's her reason and also it's that age it's like her it's so funny I do think despite it being a broken record you do start to really get the kind of nub of the problem which is this obsession with family where There's something I think very important when Teresa at the reunion talks about how they grew up in a culture where it's like you kiss your kids when they're asleep Mm -hmm. because you have to look like stern in the day. This idea that it's like you should know you love each other. You don't have to show you love each Mm -hmm. other. And that's what I think ultimately their argument comes back to again and again and again is that Teresa's like there should be no, it shouldn't matter. There should be no argument as to that loyalty to one another 
And Joe Gorga's there like crying out for sort of affection or for kind of love, I guess, because yeah. he's just a big love machine yeah. with kind of anger management problems. Mm. So we get back on this track of like, it should be about family. It should be about family. Stick with your family, stick with your blood. And Joe, oh, well, I, I mean, I missed... It all gets very dramatic. Melissa on her knees being like, we're begging you and to leave us. Stop knees. hurting us. Oh, she really stoops to conquer. It's a great, it's another great. I'll be using that as a drama school audition. Uh, completely. It's so, such a dramatic tableau. I love that Kathy's just in the background, leaning against the window. She's like, hey, you want to, you drink too much coffee? Yeah, as always. Is yeah. that what it is? <laughs> coffee no joe that's not no it's not right joe no don't don't say that she's family she's my mother's pizzellies teresa it's my mother's pizzellies teresa don't don't say that it's leave them out of it i love that teresa after the whole like i'm asking you on my friggin' knees to stop hurting us and then teresa goes who talks like that and then melissa goes melissa 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 gorga I love when she says her own name with those very yeah. dark L's. Melissa. Mm, 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 really mm, feeling her own. very good. And it does suddenly feel a bit like, and then there were none, where it goes from the big group, it's a big group discussion, to suddenly they're all getting picked off one by one. So Joe, uh, Josie, so Rosie and Joe go out to have a whiskey. Rosie. Josie. Rosie and Joe. Joe. <laughs> Rosie and Joe. They go out for a whiskey. <laughs> Kathy and Richie slink off to the side. Melissa gives this tour de force performance and then she slinks and off. Then and then goes purchase. and sits up at the window exactly as I would do in a play or something where it's like you do your monologue and then you go and sort of sit by the window and go, I'll, in this bit, I'll be having a cigarette. Exactly. It's very Chekhovian. She's looking out at the yeah. snowy landscape waiting, wondering if she's ever going to go back to Moscow. She'll ever see it again. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Suddenly, <laughs> <laughs> we just get these two key players left. It's Joe Gorga and Teresa, because really what everything boils down to is what you just said. It's just these two siblings who have a communication issue. Yeah. And for as much talk as there's been about the season retreading the same points, I think the fighting between them has been pretty indirect and it often feels like a cold war and they're outsourcing these different characters to sort of fight battles for them. But yeah, part of me is just like, maybe they just need to... <laughs> Punch it out. <laughs> but that's it. And it comes down to this very direct, clear two sentences. Stick with your blood. And he's like, I'm, I'm not sticking with scum like you. Get balls. Be a man. Stick with your blood. I ain't sticking with scum like you. Oh. Huh. It, the dialogue mm. is such a contradiction because it's so base and monosyllabic, but the delivery is so passionate that they really sell it as some sort of like heightened verse. Yeah. Where they're just like, you bum, you scum. You're garbage. It's true. Although it's interesting because he he throws away the scum thing and it's funny. You really do see it hit her and hurt her, which is interesting because they've said far worse. It's it's. I find it fascinating in this world how the power of language, it's like when Melissa refers to Joe going to jail and it has such an effect on Teresa and it's like, no, you say going away. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're very clear about like, I just find it fascinating with the language thing. So Teresa goes out. It's similar to the um, the Caroline and Teresa argument, where I think like Teresa gets triggered by literal name calling, like a bad word. If she's called Mm. a bad word, that's the most offensive thing. Whereas for Joe, it's more like his integrity and character, and implying Mm. that his wife's a cheater only with him for money or that kind of thing cuts to the core. Yeah. So Teresa goes outside and Rossi and Joe are having their <laughs> their whiskey and talking and Teresa's like, He call me scum and Joe gets really fired up and Rosie has the whole thing really gives me the vibes of being at a house party when I was a teenager and someone who's like drunk too much where it's like they go to get in a fight and Rosie's reaction is exactly what I was like. Right. Where it'd be like, oh, oh come on, see, then we gotta this go. is but bad. Like, oh, being like, see, no, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> like, oh, come on. I yeah. love her response. Yeah. And also it's so like, well, we were having a nice now I've got to put down my whiskey. We're like half and, in the bag. Oh, we were on God. our way. Like, we're yeah, getting a buzz exactly, on. Like, right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to go so, tell him to apologize. Exactly. And it's yeah. become hard, I find, to judge Melissa's reactions to the fights on the show I can't tell whether her response often makes the fight. Again, it's like she's like a very good actress where sometimes if I've learned anything in my (laughs) 10 years on the stage, it's Mm. 
that often our responses are what give power to the scene. Mm. Um, And I feel like she gives a lot of power to those fights because she's so like, oh, 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 Joe, 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 whatever. And that makes you as an audience go, oh my God. Yeah. And it's fascinating, the fight at the end of the season that happens at the posh other shop show or whatever. Mm. The fact it's so weird because we don't see it. We basically only see the responses. And it makes you go like, wow, it must have been mad, but it is crazy that we don't see any of it. And I think this is similar where it's very hard to tell what the scale is. I remember reading in the Not All Diamonds and Rose book, I think it was talking about Potomac, because there's a very big fight that happens there. And Andy Cohen was saying that he and production really agonized over how to show it because in general Bravo likes to think of itself as being slightly more aspirational than sort of like TLC and, you know, like 90 Day Fiance and Bad Girls Club and all yeah. that. They don't like physical fights because it's uh-huh. it's not the kind of image that they want to present. So generally speaking, they try and kind of show the camera swinging away or there's flashes. They kind of do intentionally whatever they can do to censor it, yeah. which is what they do in the season finale fight between Joe and um, yes. Johnny the Greek or whatever his name Johnny. is. But here... And in Potomac, they were talking about the fight in Potomac. And I think it relates to this fight in Lake George where they almost intentionally do the opposite of that and show it with very little post-production frills. Mm. It's very stripped back and it's like all bets are off. And I think the same thing works here where it's like, this is what everything was boiling down to. Just one big brawl. And it's not even thrilling. It's kind of just sad to see. And it's almost not playing into the drama in a way because it's just like a sad sky. I think totally and I think Richie I think Richie is a big part of why it works is because he has such a an authentic reaction that bit when he's like whoa whoa, whoa, hold up hold up back up back up yeah it's very realistically like under rather than someone being like oh my god yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and I think I just my favorite thing about this whole brawl is the fact that they're all like covered in what they think is dirt at the end oh my god And it's Joe Corker's hair dye. It feels very appropriate that they all just have this like black mark of shame that they've been tainted like, by as the family. Shit? What is this exactly. shit? And I love that Joe's kind of like pretending that he doesn't know what it is. Like obviously exactly. it's your like, hair oh, dye. It's like oh. a bit embarrassing. It's like, what is this shit all over me? And then I love that Melissa's first thing after the fight is to like grab his cap and like run over to him and be like, ah! and like put it on his head quickly to like hide the bald patch. <laughs> That's her her priorities in place. Um, We get a very good talking head from Joe. It takes me back to the baptism brawl where he's just like, I have 10 years of hate against this man. Joe Judice has put that wedge between my parents and I. I love how he says parents. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's crucial as well. I think it's easy to forget. And that's another difference between Joe and Teresa. Whereas Teresa, it's... She wants her brother back. But Joe, it's almost like Teresa's secondary. And I think it's actually, he doesn't have a relationship with his mother and father anymore. Yeah. And Teresa's linked to that. That's the real kicker for him. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's very sad. And I definitely think they get to a point that evening where you watching, you're like, how are they ever going to come back for this? Yeah. And I think it's quite mad that by the next evening, they're in such a different place. And you think, because when you're watching that, you're really like, they are never going to be able to come back. Well, I was amazed that um, that Richie and Kathy and Rosie convinced Teresa to go and talk to him in the aftermath. That mm. really surprised me about Teresa and her character. And then, of course, Joe is just in a complete fugue state where he can't talk to anyone. And it's, it's like that scene in the Sex and the City movie where Carrie's been dumped at the altar and they go to Mexico and she's just lying in bed uh, depressed and they all have a go trying stunning. to get her to eat something. And then so it's like... Some Ka- yogurt. Yeah. But mm. nothing works. Kathy's mm. going to have to go in and shit herself and then that will make Joe laugh. Yay! Exactly. So then we get Dr. V, who is just like an interesting... I don't want to spend too long talking about her, but it, it is interesting that this... It's like Bravo created her in a lab. Yeah. This like... She's like a fairy godmother. Like, yeah, stunning fucking fembot turns yeah. up with like legs up to here and this perfectly kind of quaffered hair and makeup and everything. And 
you're like, oh, well, again, they're going to just like eat this person. Like they're not going to be able Mm -hmm. to do anything. And somehow, miraculously, against the odds, and I don't really know whether it's that she does it or it just happens to kind of come together. She gets them all to a place where they're okay with each other. you know why it is. It's because she's Italian. She, she Italian. gets it. She gets it. Because the other she guy, the other the, the therapist, he, he the didn't know nothing about Italian. Nah. nah. Yeah, so that's... Exactly. What. So they amazingly leave this retreat and they have this whole night where they get pissed together. Sorry, I'm aware I'm, I'm not going into it very deeply, but partly because I'm aware that it's been 50 minutes of us talking and we're only at the end of the first retreat. So yeah. I'm pushing us along. The only takeaway I have from uh, that yeah. makeup scene is that when Teresa cries, she sounds very much like Beaker from The Muppets. She's very like... <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Although I do find those her Beaker crying is very authentic. It is. No, completely. And... The other thing I guess I was saying, Melissa looking not necessarily villainous, but I feel that after that fight, she's so pumped up and she's allowed for the first time to open the floodgates and literally call Teresa a see you next Tuesday, say everything she's been thinking because Joe is fully on her side right now and you feel like the (gasps) heavy panting. And as soon as Dr. V arrives and it becomes increasingly clearer that Joe and Teresa are coming to a detente, you can see it in Melissa's eyes where she's like, fuck and she slowly realizes yeah. that she's losing this battle and she's drowning her she gets completely pissed the next night because she's drowning her sorrows yeah. because she was this close to a Teresa mutiny but didn't quite make it it's true and i think that that really sticks for most of the rest of the season you can tell that in the same way that sex in the city works best when Carrie is single because the audience wants to see her dating. Mm-hmm. This show works better. Well, I don't know if it does work better, but I think Melissa thinks the show works better whilst they're at odds with each other and therefore is quite loath to give that up, partly because I just think she doesn't like her. And it's kind of, you can see that she's exactly like you say, like she doesn't want them to move forward at that point. And I think that that's a problem the rest of the season because whether she's right or not I think Caroline has a point that it's not just Teresa both Teresa and Melissa have an inauthenticity to their they talk a lot about wanting to move forward but they don't actually want to that night where they get drunk there is something really lovely about the scene where the women are all cooking and drinking and it really does show that that's where they're at their happiest and I think that's one of the few times where you can really see how this family would work Mm-hmm. with all of them like coming together to make food and even if it's hard for us to understand those quite dated roles they really love that thing of like the men go off and do something physical or practical together and rib each other we all drink Bite each other's nuts for the men and that's how it works mm-hmm. and they all seem very very happy mm-hmm. so then we get a kind of middle section of the show which I'm less interested in. It's just more Jan Penny stuff, isn't it? So now they're... More Jan Penny stuff, but also sort of Teresa and Jacqueline meet up and talk. Teresa calls Jacqueline evil, (laughs) but whilst trying to say, let's be civil, it's really weird. This bit where she's like, I basically just think you're pure evil. (laughs) Uh, It's just really weird and it comes out of nowhere. And... It's one of those things where I think Teresa uses just like completely the wrong word and I don't even know if she meets Right, no, yeah. It's just, it's funny that she can be so hit by a word like scum, but then turn around and say to just someone- Just casually throw out. Yeah. I think you're evil, but like, let's be civil. But I do think part of it is, it's like, you're right. Her lexicon just isn't that vast. So it's the closest word that she has to- It was like, she... it was evil or Cuban. Right, like... yeah. <laughs> Any, one of the two, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So then- we have Melissa's birthday and is it fair to jump to the next retreat? Yeah, full disclosure, I, because I was too busy having so much fun last night with my new best friend slash co-host, Macy, I didn't get around to watching this oh. retreat. So it's in my memory. Why are you going to cut me so deep? <laughs> ah, Jesus. Um, that was so, a oh, it's fine. I'll take the lead. So Melissa's sick, much like me. She's got a nose like a tap. And she, and I do feel for her because there's nothing worse. As you know, James, from a holiday in LA, being sick on holidays, oh, crap. You want to get your so, freak on. You want to, you think you, you're looking cute you want, and exactly. fly. And it's just not going that not way. Not good. So, and they've turned up at this, it's like the antithesis of all of them, the retreat. It's this very centered, grounded, kind of quiet, calm, peaceful, very desert barren. location. Oh, I love it. I just want to go there. 
There's not any Tuscan trimming in sight. No Venetian mm, no, marble anywhere. No, it's just anywhere. like straight back and it's just like there for their vulnerability or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the editors, that bit where Richie farts and they arrive. <laughs> and the editors, I'm sure it, has, it probably had nothing to do with it, but they cut the woman showing them around, giving this face where I just like, <laughs> it's just comedy. God, it's so good of her just looking like, it's like, who did that? But also just looking so affronted. And it's and it's also the way that the fart just like echoes right, in the right. kind of cavernousness yeah. of the house. It's just very, very good. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if any of them, I think they all think they're going on like a spa weekend. And it turns out that they are at essentially like this therapy getaway that's just going to be like challenge after challenge of their bravery to be authentic or to be vulnerable or whatever and it's very intense and I love seeing them there I think it's amazing and I think I think it's incredible to see it demand of people like Joe Judice or Richie a vulnerability that is not asked of them right in life in a kind of contained space and I think there's so many amazing moments in those episodes it's the opposite of, you know, those shows you were saying that Bravo doesn't want to be, or I, I mean, maybe Bravo do these shows, but like the marriage boot camps mm-hmm. and stuff. You're right. That just feel totally inauthentic. Yeah. This feels like the opposite. It feels like, what if we watched our housewives actually have therapy? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't necessarily go in for this stuff, but the psychic talking about Richie's dad, Richie's response is so heartbreaking and so mm-hmm. moving, especially because he's very cynical about it beforehand. And... You know, Joe Judice, the the exercise with the horse, admitting his fear around going to prison, and Albie admitting that he experienced abuse as a child, and that it's mm-hmm. huge yeah. what they go through. And I'm with Caroline. I do think it really stands out that Melissa and sort of Teresa just don't really engage with it. Of course, yeah. I mean. Are we surprised? Which is a shame. Yeah, it is. No, I'm not surprised, but it's just interesting because you wouldn't think that Joe Judice would engage with it, but he mm-hmm. did. And look what it, the difference it made. And I think what for me it really showed is, is how much as humans, it's like we want to see people's vulnerability. We want to see, like, I was far more endeared to Joe Judice for that those episodes and it was very sweet in the way that he phrased it it wasn't like if this was something scripted it's not like all of a sudden he's speaking out of character and suddenly he's very eloquent about his thoughts and feelings it's literally him still mumbling like oh got lawyers and stuff involved like i don't know but like it's very on brand for joe like it's very he's really trying within his means which makes it more satisfying. Totally. It's what weirdly I find myself watching those episodes and kind of wishing I was there. And also we have like Jacqueline and Teresa make up and there's something lovely about, again, I can't kind of believe I'm saying this, but I do, I do watch it and see why they do actually have a lovely friendship where before I, I kind of thought I didn't understand what they missed about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand what Jacqueline missed, but there's something, Teresa's so flawed and so annoying, but, when she does manage to cop to something, I do see the glimmer of why you would be like, see if you could just do that. Mm-hmm. You're fun and you're funny and you're lovely or whatever, where it's her obstinance that's so frustrating. And I don't know, I think there's something really lovely about the bit where Joe Gorga and Teresa are up on the wires and are trying to help each other. And it's like those moments where you are in your body so you can't think about right. what you care, like what you're annoyed about mm-hmm. with each other or whatever, because you have to literally help each other. I think that's so powerful. Mm-hmm. So I just really enjoy. I kind of only have positive things to say about those retreat scenes. Although I did forget that it ended with Joe Gorgo smashing a glass right. <laughs> over this. I suppose that's the thing is that like they've all come close, but then Caroline makes the point that it's like you're never going to move forward unless you. None of this is worth anything it. unless you deal with uh, with the future stuff. And it feels slightly frustrating because as they wrap up this argument about all this stuff that Teresa's or Kim D's minions have spread about Joe and Melissa, and that Teresa has a hand in it and she needs to put a stop to it, they're really selling this idea that Penny and Jan are sort of Teresa's Frankenstein's monster, and it's like completely gotten out of. Teresa's control it's like a virus that's spread and she yes, needs yeah. to contain it and that's going to be the key 
I think Dr. V says it, that that's the key to them coming together is sort of uniting against a common enemy. <sighs> I mean, I guess it feels like they just need to settle with what they can get out of Teresa, but it just at a certain point, it feels like they have to just give up the fact that Teresa started this in the first place and just celebrate the fact that she's willing to end it. I guess, I guess their annoyance is like, it really stands out to me the bit where Melissa is like, when Danielle said, pay attention, you flipped a table. Why aren't you flipping a table for us? Yeah. And it's like this whole thing of Teresa being like, because like, I don't want to give them the time of day. And I guess Melissa's point is, but that's not how you respond to stuff. Mm -hmm. It's all well and good to say that. And yes, maybe if it was Caroline, I would be like, well, Caroline's not a fighter. She's not going to do that. But the point is you are. So we know it's not authentic, this thing of going like, oh, well, I'm just going to rise above it because we know you and we know that you like chase people through country clubs. It's also, yeah, before the Arizona retreat, when Penny was at the Melania hair care launch, Teresa did have the time of day, but it was the time of day to keep saying to Penny, like, oh, are we friends? Like, do we know each other? And yeah, Penny's yeah. like, no, we do not know each other. And she's like, right, yes, 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 thank you, thank you. And it's like, and they will pick up on it. It's like, Penny's very transparently being coached here on what she can and cannot say. And they're trying to get Teresa exactly. away from Penny, like get Penny away from her captor. So yeah, it just, it doesn't. Exactly. But that's the note, that's the best so, that they can do is that they're joined together. Well, also, together. I think it really speaks to them when Albie gets involved as well and is just like, stand together on this. Right. And it's like, they finally feel like the message is getting through where it's like, Teresa starts to get that it's like, you're being given an out. If you go against right. these people, if you visibly go against them, they are saying they are with you. It's also, it's really- And she's a bit like, ah. Uh, yeah, it's very <laughs> clever on Albie's part because he's framing it in a dialect that Teresa speaks, isn't it? And I think that idea of having a common enemy with, with family- hand it's, It does, it feels like, um, like Kim and Kyle suddenly- getting on together at game night because they both hate yeah. brandy like all of a sudden exactly like, yes they he's like i'm giving you a reason to be together right. and she's like oh, ah. so then we get this this johnny the greek <laughs> guy rounding off the season where basically this random johnny guy, the greek I don't understand what his beef is, but he's like going in on fucking Jacqueline's son having autism, is being like <laughs> Melissa's cheat. It's just like the weirdest thing. And the weirdest thing is that he turns up with total as if he's in the right. Like, it's so it's weird. So- <laughs> it's, it's so unashamedly like just so trolly. It's yeah, I did. Great. Yeah, it's what I think. Yeah, don't raise your <laughs> voice a <Yeah>. bit. <laughs> I love all the autism... T- well, I don't love all the autism talk. It's very <laughs> poorly handled. But Joe Judice does it at the beginning where he's like, oh, so so what? What's what's the big deal about autism? It's not, not even a bad disease. Like a lot of scientists have autism. And then, and even Teresa has the good sense to be like... Nah, nah, nah. And then suddenly Penny's yeah. talking to Jacqueline and she's like, Jacqueline, I'm going to be very honest with you. I love autistic kids. Love them to death. Oh my God. She's like, I teach them. I taught I autism. I she taught didn't even say autism. I teach them. I taught autism. I did. Got my PhD in it. <laughs> so, yeah, we have this fight where... So Penny... You know what? It's quite confused in my head because it's very hard to tell what is people wanting their moment on the show and what is coming back to, like, bite Teresa. Penny basically is saying Teresa is the one that put... Me up to this. it, right. And also she knew about stripper gate it's like they've suddenly decided to just distill everything into the physical vessel that is penny suddenly jan and jennifer have all just disappeared they've been retconned and they put all their eggs in the penny basket and yeah she's suddenly coming out with this new story and Teresa obviously suddenly has the time of day and suddenly is going to flip a table because her name is now being implicated because exactly Exactly. And then, so Teresa goes, pull out your phone, pull out my texts. And Penny goes, I don't need to pull out texts. And it's like, ow, ow, ow. You don't have to tell. She's obsessed with this coinky dink. Coinky dink is. And I'm like, (laughs) does she think that that's how you say it? Because she, honestly, she's, the fact that it's like, I get in a talking head being a bit like, coinky dink. Right. I think not, or whatever. But I love that, like, in the middle of a fight where, 
she like fully corrects herself. It's like she goes to say it's a coincidence, and then she's like, oh, no, oh, 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 <laughs> she fully, yeah, she's fully committed to it. And sorry, this pluralization of is, text yeah. has to stop. Text- Texas, ah, Te- but then Penny says Texas is. <laughs> It's like, this is too much now. Ingredients. So you've got Melissa sort of just stood with the face of of, that she's had for three seasons of a bit like, and I get it. it, You must go like, if enough people are constantly being like, yeah, Teresa. Right. Or put me down. Like, it's like, well, obviously I'm going to think Teresa did it. Like the idea where Teresa's always like, you believe them? And it's like, well, yeah, Yeah. when 15 people have told me that you did it and you don't like me. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. I believe them, obviously. Mm-hmm. So then when Joe Gorga and Johnny the Greek get into it, it ends with, it just feels like this reprise throughout this season of these randos coming on, alleging something. And then when they're asked to reveal their source or give some information about who told them, suddenly getting very evasive and not answering the question. Well, and it ends with Joe Gorga squaring up to Johnny Go- Johnny the Greek. Say it! Just say it! Say it! And it feels like Joe is all of us in that moment where we're collectively here. Exactly. We're getting blue balls. Like, there's just this... I feel like we're constantly on the verge of dropping a bomb of anagnorisis and it's frustrating from a narrative standpoint because we never quite get there. We're always either at the precipice of discovery, something that's going to change everything and implicate Teresa unequivocally, Mm. or it's just like a full-on brawl, which is what happens here. It's like, say it, say it! He doesn't say it, but they just punch each other instead and it's like oh god again but what i find interesting with that brawl is how upset caroline gets yeah and i think it's very indicative of her coming to the end of her time on the show that it's like she can't do again she is sort of us that she's just like no 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 she's like (laughs) she just hits a real point of being like ah this is like you can't you can't just keep doing this and going around like it never moves forward Mm -hmm. and I just find that moment kind of powerful, but also we're just stuck in that endless. You get the impression. Well, yeah. Well, I was just going to say we're stuck in that endless cycle, but we're not actually because it feels like the season's going to end there. Where I think we would, I think at that point, audiences would be like, oh, "I can't watch another season. It's just going to be the same thing again and again and again." And I think it's interesting that the show does give us what we want, which is like a miracle. Which is Teresa suddenly going to Jacqueline and being like, I think I do see what I did wrong. Uh-huh. And giving, and I suppose this is what I mean about the redemptive quality of Teresa is that we see something we've never seen. And of course, it's like a crumb. But for her, that's quite a big deal that she even admits. It kind of doesn't matter what she's admitting to. And I think this is what Joe Gorga says, essentially, is he's like, I kind of hate when Andy Cohen in the reunion presses him to be like, what did you think your sister was apologizing for? Because I'm like, don't pull that thread. Because if you pull, if you get into the semantics, she's going to be like, say, no, I wasn't apologizing for that. I was apologizing. The point is, she said the words, I'm sorry, and cried. Right. And that that felt authentic. Yeah. It's lovely. So then we go into the reunion and we think everything's going to end on... Oh, no, you missed... What? Well, just that, like, it's lovely that the f- that whole season is wrapped up with them all having food together in a way that really does feel like peace. It feels like the end. It feels like the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> the peace of like him returning to the Shire at home, and it's just like ah, oh, we can breathe out. We've done it. We're home. Right. We're done. Right. And then they drop this bombshell of Teresa and Joe being indicted on like thirty nine counts. Oh, of course, of course fraud and that's huge right which kind of gets lost on a rewatch because obviously we know what happens we know we have the benefit of hindsight but yeah it's just one of those moments where it's quite easy to forget watching this in real time what a bombshell that was yeah of course because we all it's so famous now and it ushers in a new era in new jersey you're right you kind of get the impression that this is caroline's last season and Jacqueline's, even at the reunion, they're on these massive sofas, but they're just bringing out more and more Gorga family members and just pushing Caroline and Jacqueline further and further to the end of the sofa until they're barely yeah. on the stage. You totally. just feel like we're sort of going into a, a new phase here and everything at the reunion seems to end on quite a copacetic note. Maybe in part because they know that shit's going to get really bad for Joe and Teresa yeah. right now and there's bigger fish to fry. 
But then, of course, Teresa just sort of literally as Andy Cohen's wrapping it up and he's like, well, it's another fantastic reunion. (laughs) And suddenly she's like, out of nowhere, seemingly, starts saying how everyone's been disloyal to her. Jacqueline's proved her worth as a friend. She's the only one who's loyal. And Caroline's just, she's done. (laughs) She's fucking done. And it's like, as the credits are rolling. It is so weird that it's literally in the last 30 seconds, Caroline's just like, this is why you're a terrible person. Yeah. I... I totally agree that it's an interesting reunion where on the whole they all seem to have some kind of perspective and so it's actually very muted mm. and sort of slightly reverent to you know no one is going at Teresa and Joe really because also Kathy like barely speaks Kathy's storyline her segment for this for the season was literally about how she's always ignored by everyone it wasn't even like exactly. it wasn't even an Alex McCord thing of like Kathy finally found her voice it's like no she's just no no, no she's just she being didn't. ignored but yeah it's an interesting one the way that it's almost like in that last 30 seconds Caroline's a bit like riled up to be like this is what you know what I can't even like, yeah just roll the credits yeah I'm out yeah, completely. <laughs> Did done. you get the impression as well that Melissa was really frustrated and that she's really furious with Teresa, but she knows that she can't really push it too much because A, she's jaded and B, she knows that they have bigger issues right now. I felt the sense that she was yes. not checked out, but just very like... <sighs> yes, and also I think her point, and I don't blame her, is that she has had a whole season of people making accusations where it's not like she's been able to come on and do the whole kind of like, I'm the victim thing yeah. of being like... You were saying it because it ended up kind of being a bit like everyone at the end. Melissa was a bit like, yeah, 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 but she apologized. So like, let's just. She apologized for being around. Must be really frustrating. Yeah, exactly. That must be really annoying. It feels like Donald Trump becoming president and then picking a fight with Kim Jong Un, (laughs) and like getting American North Korean relationships to a place of like near nuclear war, and then suddenly be like, now we're good, and then going over and budding up with him, and it's like. Donald Trump single-handedly solved the crisis. Like, and it's like, yeah, but it's a crisis that you exacerbated. Like, you he, were the cause exactly. of the issue here. Exactly. I'm so glad we got to the the Donald Trump Teresa comparison. It, it was <laughs> it was inevitable. I mean, really, wasn't it? It's going. <laughs> so so next week. I mean, I'm gonna have a lot of work to do because I don't know about you, but I'm Me too. I'm now watching in like real time, so I better start binging. Good job that I don't it. have a job right now have, for a week. <laughs> have you um started watching it? Nope. No. Nope. Uh so we better but it's good because next week we're lucky to have an expert on. Macy Nyman's gonna be joining us again. Nope. Since we talk about her enough that she's basically the third host of this show. Yeah, for someone who's been on it once. My replacement. <laughs> She really has quite the presence. She's also become more of an expert than us. It's like, we created a monster. I literally remember sitting on that train with her talking about housewives and her looking at me like, what a sad, sad little life you lead. <laughs> and now it's like, she's run out of every franchise and is at Countess Luan's cabaret in New York. And I'm like, what happened? She was, I know, honestly, if you could see her at, at the cabaret, I was enjoying myself. I was having a gay old time. But for her, it, she, it was like full body ripples, out of body experience. Totally, it, she was like yeah, absolutely. Luan when she's about to get married, euphoria. It was a really a sight to behold. Oh God. Maybe it's good I wasn't there. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> not sure Luan about to get married euphoria. I want to be as far away from that as possible. Oh, completely. Thank you so much for joining us on the Housewives Archives. Very happy to have you mm. here. If you enjoyed the show, then please leave us a review or give us a rating or tell your friends. Also, go over and follow the Instagram page because James does beautiful, beautiful work over Thank there. You. Beautiful Thank memes. You. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Every time we finish now, I just want to do the sirens thing. My mother spits always. Ha 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 ha!